Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for January 30th, 2017. On today's show, we're going to be diving into a bunch of news, including the first reactions from Marvel's Black Panther, the first Ant-Man and the Wasp trailer. We'll give you a reaction to that, and also the Mute trailer, a crank cinematic universe. Is it possible the first political poster for the first purge and a Metropolis TV series, San Superman, has been greenlit? We'll talk about all that and more. This is Peter Soretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Managing Editor, Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. And writer, Huay Tran Bui. Hey, everyone. And Chris Evangelista. Hello. Okay, guys, let's uh, jump into it. Last night, the premiere of Black Panther happened in Hollywood, California. I was not lucky enough to be invited to that, but I was lucky enough to attend a press screening. Uh, They had press screenings in New York and L.A., and the first reactions have uh, hit the web. Jacob, you uh, stayed up late to compile the first uh, social reactions because reviews are not allowed yet. Uh, What are people saying about Black Panther? Well, first of all, you all better be very grateful that I stayed up way past my bedtime for this. So read it, <laughs> read it, and enjoy it. Uh, actually, uh, the reviews or the reviews, the reactions were um, almost universally positive. I didn't see 
while I was trawling through Twitter last night, I didn't see anything beyond um, anything below, at least. It was good. Everybody seems to think it's either good or great. I know, Peter, uh, you tweeted. I'm going to go ahead and read your tweet first. Black Panther looks, feels, and sounds unlike any Marvel film to date. A visual feast. Wakanda is amazingly realized. The antagonist actually has an arc with emotional motivations. Marvel's most political movie. So good. And that seems to be a, a good summary of a lot of what I heard. And and by the way, a, uh, lot, a lot of people after that tweet got mad that I said that this is a political movie. Like, I don't know. It seems like, you know, some subset of this uh, country really does not want to see a political Marvel movie. <laughs> I think later in this show, we're going to have a big discussion about politics and movies, I think. Uh, but yeah, but you're not the only person to say that. Everybody seems to say that, yeah, this movie is very different, not in the sense of it's just a different style like Thor Ragnarok was, but everybody seems to be pointing out that, yeah, this movie's a movie about black characters made by black filmmakers starring black actors. And that vibe is something we haven't seen in a superhero movie before. And it's inherently political because, you know, race is political. It's something that we uh, a lot of people may try to sidestep and not talk about. But the fact that Black Panther seems to be addressing that head on and making it a part of the film's DNA. And we're talking about a movie set in Africa, which is about, which if you, if you ignore colonialism, then you're ignoring Africa. Yeah. And so... I think it's really, really interesting to hear that not only is this a fun Marvel movie full of great imagery and fun characters, everybody seems to be really, really obsessed with the female characters, which is great. I love the idea that there is a um, strong cast of uh, black female women uh, supporting this movie. But um, it seems to have stuff on its mind. And I know you probably can't say too much, Peter, uh, but it, it, beyond it, beyond it just being a more colorful, more thoughtful Marvel movie, it's like just, is it a great Marvel movie or is it a great movie? That's a that that that's tough. I mean, I I do think people that have not been watching these Marvel movies will enjoy this movie as a movie, um, but I think it's, to me the the biggest thing about this is um, Wakanda, like which isn't an actual real place in Africa. You know, it's a fictionalized place, but it this movie feels like you know when you see like Moana or Coco and you feel enveloped into the culture of this place that you have not really been a part of like this movie feels like that uh, even though this place is not i mean i mean it's inspired by african culture um but it, it, it's so good and I, I think if um i said this in another tweet if um if this movie isn't nominated for costume art and production design awards next year i will be seriously shocked like it is a visual feast and uh I guess this is a question I also want to ask uh, the HT and Chris, because as somebody who enjoys Marvel movies, I enjoy them a lot. And I loved Thor last year. I loved Civil War before that. Uh, is it a little weird that every single Marvel movie tends to be greeted with, this is the best one yet? <laughs> I feel like every single time we have a new way of reactions, <laughs> the newest one is always the best well, one. I, I think it's it's not always the best one. Like You'll hear different things. Like I, I believe Thor Ragnarok was like, this is the funniest one yet. I think this one, this one's the most different one yet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's funny because we're always talking about every time a Marvel movie comes out, everyone's talking about how groundbreaking it is or how it changes things up. And um, but there's also that criticism of Marvel being look, Marvel movies looking very bland and kind of generic looking, at least uh, with their color palettes. So uh, I'm not really sure how to address that. I just think that, like Peter said, it's kind of each new Marvel movie brings something different to the plate. 
And uh, like Thor was so funny and so irreverent, uh, Black Panther really brings something that's incredibly colorful and stunning and has characters and a whole cast of characters we've never seen before. Again, this is coming from someone who hasn't seen the movie yet. I'm just going up based off my impressions from the early reactions and from the clips that we saw today. So, I mean, I'm I'm excited for it. I think that this might be uh, might be up top for one of my favorite movie, Marvel movie, movies yet. But again, I haven't seen it yet. That's what I'm hoping, though. Uh, Jacob, do you want to read any of the other reactions? Yeah, sure. Let me pull up a, f- a few more. I'm scrolling through here. In fact, you know, I'm going to go earlier somebody rightfully realized that we didn't have enough people of color uh, on this uh list of critics so i updated it so i want to go through and read some reactions from um some critics who aren't white dudes <laughs> so uh this is from um rebecca theodore uh vaishan i'm hoping pronouncing that correctly uh y'all 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 black panther is everything i wanted and so much more <laughs> ryan coogler has changed the game for mcu my god um, she goes on to say, uh, "I love we we now have a white dude reading a black woman." <laughs> I, I I feel awful. I'm sorry if this comes off in a bad way, but I, I want to sh- I feel like this is a this is the audience who I am most curious to hear from. Yeah. Uh, she also says, "Lupita Nyong'o and Denai Girari uh, bring the heat in Black Panther. Their action scenes have the audience cheering and clapping. I loved every second. Uh, let's see, more white dudes, more white dudes, more white dudes. Uh, Travell Anderson." As Black Panther is a love letter about blackness to a world that often ghettoizes it without realizing that it is on black backs that this planet revolves. Um, see, white dudes. <laughs> uh, Ken- Kendra James says, I am here to say that Black Panther is an excellent film with the most realistic Marvel villain. And we have a lot more. I think we, I think I end up collecting close to 30 reactions uh, from film critics and even a few, few filmmakers uh, on this list. And, you can definitely go to the show notes and check out the full list of reactions from all kinds of people. I'd say lots of white dudes, but also some not white dudes. <laughs> yeah, and uh, speaking of white dudes, uh, Ben Pearson was also at the screening with me. Today he's at the Black Panther Junket interviewing um, some of the, the, the filmmakers and, and star of the the film. And uh, so he's not here on the podcast, but he was able to uh, record a brief reaction uh, from the screening last night. Black Panther is the 18th movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and I imagine that anything that runs that long, uh, you're probably going to start to see and notice patterns that begin to form there. Um, The structure of a lot of these movies, the formula, so to speak, is pretty familiar at this point. It's a lot of these stories, when you break them down to their bare bones, are pretty much just Heroes' journeys wrapped up in daddy issues and dressed up with a lot of really cool CGI. But Marvel has never leaned into an aesthetic as much as it did in Black Panther. And even in movies that are super stylized that they've done, like uh, Guardians or Thor Ragnarok, um, those movies do not carry the weight that Black Panther does. There's so much history there. There's so much lived-in um, a feeling, you know, the characters are all, are all great, and this movie is going to inspire an entire generation of people. So all of that stuff sort of overshadows any of the formulaic complaints that may pop up about it, because uh, the characters are so awesome. They're so great to spend time with these people, and just the the notion that this movie exists in the form that it does, um, that Ryan Coogler was able to. Uh, make a movie that is like unapologetically 
black and for black audiences, but also for larger audiences. The people in my screening were just losing their minds. And I think people are going to go nuts when they see this movie, and rightly so. They've been waiting a long time to see something like this. Representation, representation is a super important issue that we've talked about many times on the site before. And uh, I'm really glad that Marvel is um, has allowed Ryan Coogler to make a movie that, uh, that really will speak to a lot of people in, in a really deep way. Well said, Ben. I've totally have not uh, not heard what his reaction is yet and am editing into the podcast later today, but uh, I wholeheartedly agree. Um, but uh, yeah, let's um, move on from Black Panther to um, to DC, from Marvel to DC. Uh, it seems like DC has gr- greenlit another, uh, another TV series, a Superman show, another Superman show without Superman. HT, what do we know? So DC and Warner Brothers TV have given a straight-to-series order for Metropolis, which is a prequel to the Superman uh, sort of canon, starring Lois Lane and Lex Luthor as two partners who investigate the world of fringe science and expose the dark secrets of Metropolis. So... It has uh, nothing much to do with Superman himself and I guess little to do with Metropolis really because it's more about just like this sort of bizarre partnership between Lois and Lex who are two people you wouldn't quite expect to be paired together uh, investigating fringe science in a premise that seems lifted straight out of the Fox TV series Fringe. So uh, this is coming to the digital streaming service uh, from DC which will also house the upcoming live-action Titans series, as well as the revival of the cult animated show and one of my favorite shows, Young Justice. So it is in good company, I guess, but um, it does seem like an odd choice uh, for a Superman series, but also not quite unexpected because we have seen a kind of a a flurry of... um, superhero-less superhero series like Gotham, or even you could consider uh, Arrow and The Flash, CW's TV series that do feature superheroes but are catered, are are centered more around like the character interactions and the sort of uh, primetime soap operas of them. And let's not forget Smallville, which started this all. And Smallville, um, yes. But but they also greenlit. Um, you, you know, we're we're gonna get Krypton, which is another Superman less Superman show. All, all Superman shows that have to do with places he's lived. <laughs> yeah, uh, Jacob, you're a big comic book reader. Um, what is the strategy behind this? Do you is Warner Brothers? Is this a good strategy to make? Uh, you know, TV shows based on their big superhero. Uh, figures but not featuring those actual characters i have no idea i guess gotham does well enough for them to think it's okay i mean i haven't watched gotham in years but it by all counts is stopped being a batman show together and just says here's a thing set with these characters you may recognize it feels like it's an easy way to have familiar iconography and maybe run off and do your own thing like instead of saying oh we want to have these characters investigate fringe supernatural things it's like oh they're people you know come watch the show so maybe it's an easier sell to people, if, or at least they think it's an easier sell if people recognize their names beforehand. But I don't know. I guess my whole thing is I'm not opposed to a TV show set in Metropolis. It's about Lois Lane and Lex Luthor. They're great characters. 
uh, I just don't understand why he removes Superman from the mix. Superman helps define their world and their worldviews. So I, I would love to see this show about these two people living in Metropolis in their day-to-day lives, but Superman kind of hanging above them as something that's not even a major part of their lives, but something that's just always around. That, to me, is more interesting than them solving mysteries. This sounds like a joke. <laughs> I, don't, I don't get the appeal at all. Yeah, I, I will say this. I, I did watch Smallville for more seasons than I care to admit, and uh, I think one of the best parts of that show was Michael uh, Rosenbaum's Lex Luthor, and I almost wished that they had a show with it was him as the central character. So, um, I don't know. It, it, it could be interesting. I don't know. Uh, Chris... You are also a, a reader of comics. Um, d- what do you think about this? I think I would love a Lois Lane show that's about Lois Lane being a journalist. I think that's a really neat idea, but that does not that does not sound like that's what this is. This sounds like it's just trying to be another Law and Order set in Metropolis, which maybe could work. But I I kind of hate the idea that they're teaming her up with Lex Luthor. Like, why is Lex Luthor? solving crimes that sounds like a really st- like stupid idea to me i don't know maybe that's just me but like if the show were about lois lane being a journalist and reporting on stories that'd be neat i'd watch that it, like you know the the last season of the wire but with lois lane that would i'd love that but this i don't i don't know what to make of this see, see yeah this the solving crimes thing is weird i i kind of thought at first like what if it was like the first season of house of cards I feel like that you you could do that with like you know the Lex Luthor character being kind of the Kevin Spacey character, and uh, you know her being the journalist, um, and their cross pathing uh, passing and you know stuff like that. But um, I don't know. We'll have to see. It's DC's digital service, so I'm not sure how much faith we have in the, the budget and quality of that show. But we'll, we'll have to see. Uh, but let's move on from that to the Crank Cinematic Universe. Chris, is it going to happen? Boy, I hope so. Um, <laughs> Brian Taylor and Mark Nevedine, again, I'm probably saying his last name wrong, but sorry. Uh, they've been talking about making a Crank 3 for a long time now. It just hasn't happened. Uh, crank 2 was not a huge hit, which sort of derailed a Crank 3. But, you know, for years they've been providing updates and they keep saying everyone wants to do it. In a new uh, podcast interview, Brian Taylor said not only does he want a Crank 3, he wants an entire crank cinematic universe he doesn't actually provide any uh details on what that would be i mean i don't know what that would even look like but uh i'm all for it let's do it why not i mean we talked yesterday about uh deep blue sea 2 and i i've obviously made my uh feelings about uh wanting ridiculous insane movies in tv shows You, you know like i I would love to see a Crank Cinematic Universe. Crank 2 is batshit crazy. And um, HT, Jacob, are either of you a fan of that series? I can't say I am. I normally love crazy things, but for some reason, those movies rub me the wrong way. So I'm going to sit this one out because enough people really love those movies that I, I don't want to rain on any parades. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Why, why, do they, why do they rub you the wrong way? Oh, man. Um, it's, it's been years since I've seen them. I, I saw them both when they first came out. And I feel like there's no method to their madness. I feel like it's a series of events as opposed to a constructed cacophony of escalation, which is kind of how I want my, my crazy movies to work. I feel like it, it's things being thrown at a wall and seeing how they stick as opposed to um, somebody thinking through how to make the crazy work. 
And like I said, I know I'm in the minority here. Uh, these, these movies have big fans. I wish I liked them. I wish I loved them in the way that people love those movies. Uh, so I, I like bring on Crank Three. Um, I won't. I probably won't see it, but I, I hope this happens because I like I like the people who like these movies. <laughs> They're my friends and family. So I, I, it's all I can say. HT, are you a fan of the Crank series? I've seen the first Crank, but I will admit I kind of. Uh, mix up all the Jason Statham single title B action pulp movies like Mechanic and Transporter. Well, so, well that's what they really <laughs> should do is have the Jason Statham cinematic universe where that it just I combines would watch. all that. Of them. I would be really excited to see. <laughs> if they reveal that all Jason Statham characters are all identical siblings <sighs> who have all spread out across the world. It all team up, all played by Jason Statham, for like a big Avengers-style movie. I will buy ten tickets on I, opening day. I would too. I would as well. That would be amazing. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I have a feeling that we're, this Crank uh, Cinematic Universe is never going to see the light of day as much as I would like to see it. Um, let's go, let's go on to the Purge. There's a new Purge movie uh, that's coming out. They have released the new poster, which gives us a title and a sense of what the movie is about. Jacob, tell us about it. Well, we actually knew The Purge 4 was coming in September of last year, but back then it was called The Purge, The Island, and it was going to be a prequel to the third movie, because uh, the third film kind of wraps things up enough that it'll be hard to uh, keep going forward. Uh, but this new poster reveals the new title, which is called The First Purge, which keeps in mind that it is a prequel. It's, it goes back to the very first Purge, and... It's going to take place entirely on Staten Island, where the first Purge is conducted as an experiment. And for those of you who don't remember, The Purge is a horror series uh, set in a dystopian sci-fi near-future uni- near universe where America is now a run by an authoritative uh, regime who once a year legalized crime for one night. And what the movie wears on its sleeve very openly and proudly is that it's <laughs> very political and very unashamed of it. And the sequels make it very clear that um, the reason why crimes legalized for one night a year is so that uh, the rich and powerful can gain more power and people who are poor, lower class or people of color, mostly, uh, who cannot defend themselves are being wiped out and pushed further and further uh, out of the country. So it's a really, really dark premise. And the new poster, all it is is a white background with a very familiar red hat with a very familiar white font that says The First Purge with the release date of July 4th. And I don't need to tell you what the red hat and the white font means in 2018. We, we, we've all seen them. Uh, we've all, some of us have been very distressed by them and embarrassed by them. Um, but naturally, I think there's, it's, it's, it's such great trolling, though. I mean, the, the Purge movies have always been uh, about selling you this violent premise of come watch people kill each other. Um, come watch this, this reckless night of mayhem. Then you're actually in the theater and it goes, actually, let's pause so these characters can discuss race relations and how the purge exists to destroy black people. And it's like, whoa, what am I watching? <laughs> uh, so this is just the purge being the purge. And it's no longer even trying to hide it. You may remember that uh, the purge three, uh, subtitled election year, came out in 2016. Its uh, slogan was keep America great, implying that um, America has been made great again in quotation marks by, by having a night where people murder each other. So this series has been... This is not surprising. Do, and, do, do you think this hat might uh, might tease an appearance from a uh, a certain president, or do you think it's just a clever play? 
I think it's just a, I think it's just a clever uh, image. It, it, it's a joke. I don't think we're actually going to see anything here. Uh, I, I think that the evil leaders of the purge are much much smarter than the man who uh, is associated with that hat. <laughs> so, um, but uh, and this is, opens up another door. I actually had an entire paragraph about this in the article that I deleted because I, I just couldn't make it work in a way that, that wasn't me shouting at people. Uh, and that is that. Uh, this is going to get reactions like keep the politics out of my horror movies. Why do movies need to have politics? Why does Black Panther need to be political? And, I, and this is a thing on open the floor to Chris and HT because I, I know they have th- they have thoughts on this. But all art is political. I mean, uh, Paul Blart Mall Cop is a political movie because it chooses not to be political. But making a decision to say we're going to avoid things that people talk about in real life and are connected to real life, that is a political decision. So I'm curious, uh, HT, Chris, and Peter uh, – is, how do you feel about uh, a movie like this using politics so brazenly in its marketing? And how do you feel with the argument of keeping politics out of movies? Uh, start with you, HD. I want to hear what you think. Uh, yeah, I mean, I agree with you completely. I think that no art um, is made in a vacuum. I think every art is inherent. All art is inherently political. And if some movies or TV shows choose to... Uh, refrain from politics that's that in itself is a political decision um and i do think that the sort of on the nose marketing of the politicism in this movie is like i said a little little on the nose and but i i really admire when movies aren't afraid of sort of um of wielding that politics on their sleeves and um i completely i think especially in this time now when the line between politics and entertainment is increasingly blurred uh, because of who we have in the at the top of the administration, I think that it's more important now than ever for art to become a point of discussion upon which we can sort of kick off into a larger discussion, use that to create movements. I mean, we've seen that more recently with the Weinstein effect especially, and um, with women and people of color demanding more representation, more politics, and more statements in their um, in their movies. And I think, too, the popularity of more politically and socially-minded movies um, is proof of that as well. Get Out, I don't think, would have been as popular maybe 10 years ago as it is now, but just because of the um, really political environment we find ourselves in. And I know people can get tired of that, but I think that it's inevitable. I mean, even like 10, 20 years ago, art movies were political. It was just, it just seemed like it was less so because it wasn't discussed as much. Uh, Chris, I know you were a little more uneven, a little more unsure about this poster. I want to hear your thoughts on this. Uh, I don't want to, uh, like, I'm afraid of launching into this diatribe where I just sound like a lunatic, but um, I will say the argument to keep politics out of art is a, a very silly one. Uh, like you said, Jacob, all art is political. There's actually a great uh, documentary called Nightmares in Red, White, and Blue, which is all about how pretty much every decade of horror movies is reacting to political events of that decade. It, it draws these really interesting comparisons. So I don't have any problem with politics in art, especially horror, because horror is a great... Uh, it's my favorite genre. Um, I, my problem is... The, the people who write the Purge movies are not very smart, and I'd rather someone <laughs> who's a better writer handling this material because, uh, again, I'm, I'm going to get political here. I'll try to keep it a minimum, but 
I think we find ourselves in a very dangerous time based on who's in control right now. And I'd rather someone smarter address that than just have it be like a hacky sort of jokey horror movie. I'd rather there be an actual better message. I'd rather, you know, I'd rather, you know, than what the purge movies offer, but that's me. You know, I know a lot of people are loving this poster. They think it's great and that's fine. It just, it rubbed me the wrong way. No, I, I get that. I, I, I think that the, the purge does have that trashy exploitative style go, going for it, which I think that if you go back to like political horror of the seventies and eighties, I feel like from a distance, we can better appreciate what I was going for. I'm curious how you will feel and how all of us will feel in, if we survive in a few decades <laughs> yeah. to how the politically minded horror, trashy or non-trashy from this era does hold up. Well, I, I do think it's important to have films that are not these smart made like, you know, documentaries or, you know, films by master filmmakers kind of address these political issues because then it, it gets those kind of issues to an audience that might not watch those kind of, uh, you know, those kind of movies because I, I feel like those kind of movies – and somewhat are speaking to the choir. Um, I uh, I am conflicted about political messages in movies. I do think that uh, art should uh, have political messages. I think where I might have a problem with political messages in movies is when they're too obvious or or it like feels too dated in that time. Like, so if, if I saw this movie 20 years from now and it doesn't make sense, like it has to be universal. Do you know what I mean? Like the political message has to be universal. It like has to be like 1984 where like, you, you know, you can take that allegory. Like it's not, does that make sense? Like, I, I feel like sometimes it's not something it can, that's, that's uh, limited to that time period. Essentially. Yeah. I, yeah. I feel like sometimes it can really date, a story um, when when you do political uh, um, messages and stuff, but um, I think when you're more universal about what you're trying to say, I think it doesn't. I guess what I'm saying is when when you do it well, it's it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, think, I think I can't remember if I used the phrase time capsule or artifact in my article, but I do think that's what the purge will be. I don't think in 20 years we'll look at the purge as great movies, but I do think they're going to be saying, "Oh, that was a time and place reflected by these movies and their feelings." So I, I do think the movie, like 1984, is an all-time classic. Whereas, like, The Purge is a snapshot for right now, and it, and in a few decades, you know, the only people who care will be the people who write about horror movies. <laughs> They'll be like, <laughs> "Wow, the black were persecuted." <laughs> um, okay. Uh, anyways, w w the last two stories we have here are trailers that hit uh, today uh, that you can find on SlashFilm.com. And we're going to give our reactions to these trailers, uh, the first of which is Ant-Man and the Wasp, which I, I assume is going to be attached to uh, Black Panther when that hits theaters in a couple weeks. Um, so I guess let's start off with HT. What, what did you think of the new Ant-Man trailer? I, I liked it. I It was basically in line with what I expect for an Ant-Man movie. It was very snappy, fun, a little bit irreverent. Uh, it has that same sort of uh, that humor that we saw in the first Ant-Man where, uh, for example, in this trailer, we see a giant Hello Kitty Pez being pelted at a motorcyclist behind uh, hers who's pursuing the heroes. Um, one thing I did really like was it was the spotlight with Evangeline Lilly's character, Hope. And she definitely lives up to her title role in this film so far. So it's that 
that one was really exciting for me. Um, there was a lot of leaning heavily on the um, events of Captain America Civil War. So that was interesting because the first Ant-Man itself was very, very isolated. It was kind of in its own little corner of the universe. But now this Ant-Man and the Wasp is very much part of that Marvel Cinematic Universe because of Scott's participation in Civil War and now... Um, with the trailer, this is not really a spoiler, uh, Scott, Hope, and Hank are sort of fugitives on the run because of Scott's um, participation in with Steve Rogers' team. So that sort of on-the-run plot point will be interesting to see. Um, it makes it a little more dire, but again, it kind of has that sort of lighthearted tone to it. So that seems fine to me. Um, I was a little sad not to see Michelle Pfeiffer at all in this trailer, which I was really excited uh, when she was announced to be part of the film, but we didn't see a glimpse of her, although we did see Michael Pena's scene-stealing character once again, so that was exciting. Oh, I love him. I think Marvel should bring back those short films and do one on him, you know, just his character. Um, I, I I do think it's smart of them to put the Civil War stuff up front because, you know, I don't think Ant-Man is still a character that can be sold by himself. They have to be like, look, he's part of this bigger thing that you love. Um, but it is kind of cool that they, you know acknowledged um why the wasp was not in that civil war uh scene which I, I from what i understand she was originally written in that scene but they decided you know let's not introduce her and you know in let's not shorthand her introduction uh yeah it's a lot of fun what makes ant-man fun for me is these sequences where you know you're changing the the different sizes from small to giant um there's some fun stuff we see here like the you know the stuff that you mentioned uh uh the nitpicker in me uh wonders like you know when, when they change the size of a van to the size of a matchbox car and the matchbox car is still keeping up with the car above it uh, seems like very implausible to me in my mind because that would mean that the Matchbox car would have to be going, what, a, a lot faster, technically? Am I wrong there? Yeah. Well, you're, you're driving me crazy, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I have nitpicks, and I also have nitpicks on the uh, – they, they shrink a building, uh, which is a very cool image, but then I'm like, so wait, was there wheels on the bottom of the building, and was there like the, that – handle that comes up was that built into the building <laughs> you shrink the building add on those uh accessories and unshrink it voila but it, it we didn't seem to see that okay anyways I, this, <laughs> these are just nitpicks i'm going into see the, this movie I'm, I'm excited to see it i'm not sure about the music in this trailer uh chris what did you think of this trailer i know i have this reputation as uh <laughs> hating everything chris which... why do you hate fun I take exception to this because I don't hate everything, but I did not like this trailer. I think uh, the Ant-Man, the first Ant-Man did very little for me. This trailer, it looks hideous. Everything is just gray. Like, like I haven't seen Black Panther yet, but those trailers are so vibrant and colorful. And to go from that to this, where everything is the color of a parking lot, it's just like... What the hell? Like, what's going on? Can't they just hire a better cinematographer? It really hey, bugs me. Hey, at least it's not as bad as Inhumans, which was like set in like uh, a concrete parking lot, apparently. 
Well, I apparently mean, this is sort of the Marvel house style outside of Black Panther because this was the criticism that Captain America Civil War got levied against it during the big parking lot uh, yeah, fight scene. Yeah, it's like they're fighting in the Walmart parking lot. Like, that's not <laughs> exciting. Give me something to look at here. I, but that said, my favorite part of the trailer is actually the scene where uh, Michael Douglas shrinks the building and it has wheels on it. So I personally love that scene. Yeah. But beyond <laughs> that... Uh, this did very little for me. <laughs> and by the way, I, I don't want to say that I don't love those scenes. It's just I, I'm just bringing up these like ridiculous nitpicks that I realize are ridiculous nitpicks. It's it, you know, it's kind of like watching Star Wars: Last Jedi. I'm like, but there's no gravity in space. How are those bombs dropping? Uh, <laughs> it's not something that bothers me about the film. It's not something I dislike about the film. But I have ridiculous nitpicks. That Gotta I, put I, on your fedora for a little bit. Yeah, here. yeah. Uh, <laughs> Jacob, what do you think of the trailer? It looks good. We'll do more Ant-Man. I'm in. <laughs> okay. Well said. Um, <laughs> so I guess let's move on to Duncan Jones's Mute. This is a film that has, you know, we've been anticipating for quite some time. I think after, like, Moon, he was talking about doing this film. And then he ended up doing uh, Source Code and then Warcraft. And, uh, and you know, Mute is coming out on Netflix next month. And we finally have a trailer uh, you know, I'll start this off. Uh, you know, I'm excited to see this because I, I have faith in Duncan Jones. You know, I didn't love Warcraft, but I liked his other two movies. But um, I was hoping, I was hoping this was a bigger story than it seems to be. Like, like you know, we we do get these Blade Runner esque uh kind of city uh views but then it seems like a lot of it takes place in these rooms that aren't very spectacular i don't know we we don't really have much to go on i think in this this trailer uh you you know i'm gonna i'm gonna pass this over to someone else jacob what do you think of mute i'm gonna open by saying i love duncan jones warcraft's a bad movie but it's a really well-made interesting bad movie i been looking forward to the movie for a long time I don't mind it being small. It's always been pitched as a character-driven noir set in a science fiction universe. This is a bad trailer. This is a very poorly cut trailer that doesn't make much sense, doesn't flow, doesn't sell performances or characters. It is just a lot of images, a lot of dialogue that seems a little stilted in a vacuum. And it has me concerned after years of looking forward to this. And and I'm still high on Moon Source Code, Duncan Jones' first two movies. And I'm really hoping that, that this will be a thing that when we see it in context, it's going to be, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Because I don't know how you sell Moon. Moon's not a movie you can cut a trailer for very easily. Uh, but this trailer, like, had my jaw on the floor in the wrong way. Me thinking, oh, no, this this looks disappointing. And this is why I don't want to judge a book by its cover, a movie by its trailer. But it's, it's, it, 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 watching this was kind of a rough two minutes. And I felt really bummed out by it because I love Jones and... This is a 70s-style science fiction film with noir storytelling is my thing. That's my jam. And uh, it's still, it's going to be day one viewing for me. When this hits Netflix, I'm watching oh, it. Yeah. But it's still, watching this trailer, and I, I felt like the air leave my leave my body. I was so disappointed by what I was seeing. But like I said, I do, I, I'm talking about a trailer is sometimes silly. Uh, I hope I'm wrong. Uh, HD, Chris, what do you guys think? I was just going to say, with the negativity thus far, I'm kind of scared to go to Chris. Well, let me, <laughs> let me, uh, 
let me calm you all down and say I actually think this is a very good trailer. I'm surprised that everyone doesn't like it. Uh, wow. I don't know, maybe I'm maybe I'm a lunatic where <laughs> I, I'm the only one who likes it. But I I was fine with this trailer. Um, I do think it's a deliberately vague trailer. It's it's playing things very close to the vest and it's not giving a lot away. But I'm okay with that. Uh, like everyone else has said so far, I too love Duncan Jones. I haven't I have yet to see Warcraft, but. I love Moon. I really love Source Code. I think Source Code is one of the most underrated films of the last decade. So I'm excited to see what happens here, and I'm fine with this trailer. And I love uh, Paul Rudd's mustache. <laughs> I was going to say, what about his mustache? <laughs> <laughs> it just looks great. It's a good-looking stash. It's a very bushy, very good, firm mustache. So, HT, what do you think of the Mew trailer? Um, it didn't do much for me either way. I'm not, I'm kind of like in between Jacob and Chris here. Uh, I am intrigued by it because I do really like Duncan Jones and Moon was a, one of my favorite sci-fi movies uh, of the last decade or so. Yeah, it was, it's a really good film and Source Code 2 is good. Um, but this film, it's inevitable that the Blade Runner 20, 2049 Blade Runner comparisons will get drawn between them and I just kind of kept getting flashbacks to Blade Runner 2049 as, as I was watching the trailer um, but I do like the cast I, I'm intrigued by whatever Alexander Sarsgaard's doing and I do like Paul Rudd in a mustache there's a fun whiplash watching the Ant-Man trailer and then the mute trailer back to back and just seeing Paul Rudd play this really gruff kind of um, hitman type of character so I enjoyed seeing that but I don't really know much about enough about the movie, I guess, to really make past judgment on it. But I guess I'm moderately excited. Yeah. And it, uh, it, it also also weird that these trailers were released within hours of each other. It's kind of like his Paul Rudd trailer Tuesday. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I think all of us will agree that we're excited to see this movie when it hits Netflix in February. Um, it's just, I don't know. I, I, I was kind of hoping, you know, I had seen concept art that had like this kind of Blade Runner-esque, uh, future city and it like looked very Blade Runner. And I was like, oh, but Duncan Jones is going to do something, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be different in some way. It's going to be better. Uh, you know, do, like it, 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 I don't know. I'm a little worried that it feels like it just is kind of like, let's make this Blade Runner city. <laughs> I don't know. It does, <laughs> does that make sense? Like it feels very derivative. Uh, and I'm hoping that there, I hope in uh, Duncan Jones's touches are on this and actually there is um, something more, um, but I don't see it in this trailer, uh, but I'm excited. Uh, we'll see. Uh, but that does it for today's edition of slash film daily. Uh, you can find more on all these stories on slash film.com. If you go to slash film.com, you can find all the, you know, like, almost 30 reactions to the black panther you can watch the trailers uh read all the stories we talked about today uh you can find this podcast slash from daily published every weekday on itunes google play overcast all the popular podcast apps you can send us emails uh, questions comments concerns feedback at peter at slash film.com uh please go rate and review this podcast on itunes spread the word tell your friends and we'll see you tomorrow